0: section 24 of Rudder grange this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org redder grange by frank r stockton chapter 12 lord edward and the tree man part 2 i slowly walked toward the tramp tree revolving various matters in my mind we had not spent much money on the place during the winter, and now we had a small sum which we intended to use for the advantage of the farm, but had not yet decided what to do with it. It behooved me to be careful. I told Pomona to run and get me the dog-chain, and I stood under the tree, listening as well as I could to the tree-agent talking to Euphemia, and paying no attention to the impassioned entreaties of the tramp in the crotch above me. When the chain was brought, I hooked one end of it in Lord Edward's collar, and then I took a firm grasp of the other. Telling Pomona to bring the tree agent's book from the house, I called to that individual to get down from this tree. He promptly obeyed, and taking the book from Pomona, began to show the pictures to Euphemia. "'You had better hurry, sir,' I called out. "'I can't hold this dog very long.' And, indeed, Lord Edward had made a run toward the agent, which jerked me very forcibly in his direction." but a movement by the tramp had quickly brought the dog back to his more desired victim. "'If you will just tie up that dog, sir,' said the agent, "'and come this way, I would like to show you the Meltonagua pear. Dissolves in the mouth like snow, sir. Trees will bear next year.' "'Oh, come look at the royal sparkling ruby grape,' cried Euphemia. "'It glows in the sun like a gem.' "'Yes,' said the agent, and fills the air with fragrance during the whole month of September. "'I tell you,' I shouted, "'I can't hold this dog another minute. "'The chain is cutting the skin of my hands. "'Run, sir, run. "'I'm going to let go.' "'Run, run!' cried Pomona. "'Fly for your life!' The agent now began to be frightened and shut up his book. "'If you could only see the plates, sir, I'm sure. "'Are you ready?' I cried, as the dog, "'excited by Pomona's wild shouts, "'made a bolt in his direction. "'Good day, if I must,' said the agent, "'as he hurried to the gate. "'But there he stopped.' "'There is nothing, sir,' he said, "'that would so improve your place as a row of the Speisenberg "'sweet-scented balsam fir along this fence. "'I'll sell you three-year-old trees.' "'He's loose!' I shouted, as I dropped the chain. In a second the agent was on the other side of the gate. Lord Edward made a dash toward him, but stopping, suddenly, "'flew back to the tree of the tramp. "'If you should conclude, sir,' said the tree agent, "'looking over the fence, to have a row of those firs along here,' "'My good sir,' said I, "'there is no row of furs there now, and the fence is not very high. "'My dog, as you see, is very much excited, "'and I cannot answer for the consequences "'if he takes it into his head to jump over.' The tree-agent turned and walked slowly away. "'Now look-a-here,' cried the tramp from the tree, "'in the voice of a very ill-used person. "'Ain't you going to fasten up that dog and let me get down?' I walked up close to the tree and addressed him. "'No,' said I, "'I am not.' When a man comes to my place, bullies a young girl who is about to relieve his hunger, and then boldly determines to enter my house and help himself to my property, I don't propose to fasten up any dog that may happen to be after him. If I had another dog, I'd let him loose, and give this faithful beast a rest. You can do as you please. You can come down and have it out with a dog, or you can stay up there until I have had my dinner. Then I will drive down to the village and bring up the constable and deliver you into his hands." We want no such fellows as you about. With that I unhooked the chain from Lord Edward, and walked off to put up the horse. The man shouted after me, but I paid no attention. I did not feel in a good humor with him. Euphemia was very much disturbed by the various occurrences of the afternoon. She was sorry for the man in the tree, she was sorry that the agent for the royal ruby grape had been obliged to go away, and I had a good deal of trouble during dinner to make her see things in the proper light but I succeeded at last. I did not hurry through dinner, and when we had finished I went to my work at the barn. Tramps are not generally pressed for time, and Pomona had been told to give our captive something to eat. I was just locking the door of the carriage-house when Pomona came running to tell me that the tramp wanted to see me about something very important. Just a minute, he said. I put the key in my pocket and walked over to the tree it was now almost dark but i could see that the dog the tramp and the tree still kept their respective places look a-here said the individual in the crotch you don't know how dreadful uneasy these limb gets after you've been settin up here as long as i have and i don't want to have nothin to do with no constables i'll tell you what i'll do if you chain up that dog and let me go i'll fix things so that you'll not be troubled no more by no tramps how will you do that i asked oh never you mind said he "'I'll give you my word of honour, I'll do it. "'There's a regular understandin' among us fellers, you know.' I considered the matter. The word of honour of such a fellow as he was could not be considered worth much, but the merest chance of getting rid of tramps should not be neglected. I went in to talk to Euphemia about it, although I knew what she would say. I reasoned with myself as much as with her. "'If we put this one fellow in prison for a few weeks,' I said, "'the benefit is not very great.' If we are freed from all tramps for the season, the benefit is very great. Shall we try for the greatest good? Certainly, said Euphemia, and his legs must be dreadfully stiff. So I went out, and after a struggle of some minutes I chained Lord Edward to a post at a little distance from the apple-tree. When he was secure, the tramp descended nimbly from his perch, notwithstanding his stiff legs, and hurried out of the gate. He stopped to make no remarks over the fence. With a wild howl of disappointed ambition, Lord Edward threw himself after him, but the chain held. A lane of moderate length led from our house to the main road, and the next day, as we were riding home, I noticed, on the trunk of a large tree, which stood at the corner of the lane and a road, a curious mark. I drew up to see what it was, but we could not make it out. It was a very rude device, cut deeply into the tree, and somewhat resembled a square, a circle, a triangle, and a cross, with some smaller marks beneath it. I felt sure that our tramp had cut it, and that it had some significance, which would be understood by the members of his fraternity. And it must have had, for no tramps came near us all that summer. We were visited by a needy person now and then, but by no member of the regular army of tramps. One afternoon that fall I walked home, and at the corner of the lane I saw a tramp looking up at the mark on the tree, which was still quite distinct. "'What does that mean?' I said, stepping up to him. "'How do I know?' said the man. "'And what do you want to know for?' "'Just out of curiosity,' I said. "'I have often noticed it. I think you can tell me what it means, and if you will do so, I will give you a dollar.' "'And keep mum about it?' said the man. "'Yes,' I replied, taking out the dollar. "'All right,' said the tramp.' that sign means that the man that lives up this lane is a mean stingy cuss with a wicked dog and that it's no good to go up there i handed him the dollar and went away perfectly satisfied with my reputation i wish here to make some mention of euphemia's methods of work in her chicken-yard she kept a book which she at first called her fowl record but afterwards she changed the name to poultry register I never could thoroughly understand this book, although she has often explained every part of it to me. She had pages for registering the age, description, time of purchase or of birth, and subsequent performance of every fowl in her yard. She had divisions of the book for expenses, profits, probable losses, and positive losses. She noted the number of eggs put under each setting hen, the number of eggs cracked per day, the number spoiled, and finally the number hatched. Each chick, on emerging from its shell, was registered, and an account kept of its subsequent life and adventures. There were frequent calculations regarding the adventures of various methods of treatment, and there were statements of the results of a great many experiments. Something like this. Set Toppy and her sister Pinky, April 2, 1870. Toppy with twelve eggs, three Brahma, four Common, and five Leghorn, Pinky with thirteen eggs, as she weighs four ounces more than her sister, of which three were leghorn, five common, and five brahma. During the twenty-second and twenty-third of April, same year, Toppy hatched out four brahmas, two commons, and three leghorns, while her sister, on these days and the morning of the day following, hatched two leghorns, six commons, and only one brahma. Now could Toppy, who had only three brahma eggs, and hatched out four of that breed, have exchanged eggs with her sister, thus making it possible for her to hatch out six common chickens, when she only had five eggs of that kind? Or did the eggs get mixed up in some way before going into the possession of the hens? Look into probabilities. These probabilities must have puzzled Euphemia a great deal, but they never disturbed her equanimity. She was always as tranquil and good-humored about her poultry-yard as if every hen laid an egg every day and a hen-chick was hatched out of every egg. For it may be remembered that the principle underlying Euphemia's management of her poultry was what might be designated as the cumulative hatch. That is, she wished every chicken hatched in her yard to become the mother of a brood of her own during the year, and every one of this brood to raise another brood the next year, and so on, in a kind of geometrical progression. This plan called for a great many mother-fowls, and so Euphemia based her highest hopes on a great annual preponderance of hens. We ate a good many young roosters that fall, for Euphemia would not allow all the products of her yard to go to market, and, also, a great many eggs and fowls were sold. She had not contented herself with her original stock of poultry, but had bought fowls during the winter, and she certainly had extraordinary good luck, or else her extraordinary system worked extraordinarily well. End of section 24.